G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. The current approach to educating our youth as to the dangers of using ice appears to be failing. Well, you might have your own thoughts on that. You might like to call and be part of the conversation. Big seizures of ice are happening, but there is more than enough ice on the streets to be fueling growth in the addiction problems that we're facing. Some recent research suggests that up to 27 young Australians between the ages of 15 and 24 are becoming regular or dependent ice users every single day. Now that equates to nearly 10,000 new, young, regular or dependent Australian ice users every year. I'll say that again. That's nearly 10,000 new users every year. Well, many of these 10,000 young Australians will become addicted to ice. And very few of those who do, and that's uh, an estimate of just 2%, will ever escape this addiction. That's just how serious things are with ice. Well, some will try to escape their addiction through suicide or through death by overdose. So how do we understand what's happening to ICE users? Is there a Christian response? Is there a biblical foundation for what we ought to do? Is there hope for ICE users in Australia? Well, our special guest leads the Australian Anti-ICE Campaign. Her name is Andrea Simmons, and she's joining us today on the line. Hello, Andrea. Welcome along to 2020. Hello, Neil. How are you? I'm very well, Andrea, and I should say for listeners uh, listening to us all around the nation that you are in southeast Queensland, and because of the severe weather that is forecast today, uh, you are going to be sitting with me opposite uh, in the studio in Brisbane, but uh, we've got you on the line from the Gold Coast, and and, uh, that's just as good. Let me encourage you. Thank you for having me on. Andrea, you are leading the Australian Anti-Ice Campaign, a program that's working in a number of states in the US. Uh, What's happening here in Australia with the initiative that you're leading? Well, firstly, I'd like to start by just saying that the problem, the statistics that you shared earlier has actually five-folded in the last four years. Right. Um, the, the, the ice problem, that's our 2015 statistics that we're sharing um, at the moment because we don't have this year's statistics. So um, the wastewater um, evaluation on, on the meth problem um, states that in the last four years the problem has five-folded um, and it's growing rapidly and, and it's just destroying and, and lives and, you know, killing people and, um, you know, there's nothing really different being done um, you know, in the system, and um, yeah, so we we are unveiling the enemy, so to speak, um, and and just standing up against the forces of darkness that is out there, and it's just taking youth, specifically youth, um, but it, it doesn't discriminate, um, and youth is so naive and vulnerable, and um, yeah, it's just taking you know kids' lives very very quickly. 
Andrea, uh, standing up against that. let's just dwell on that for a moment. You're saying that's five-folded. Uh, the most recent statistics are not yet out, but there's obviously research going on all the time. But if I'm saying 10,000 young Australians using ICE in this year, you're saying that that's likely to be even as high as 50,000. Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is that's the 2015 um, statistics. And in 2017, they they have done tests on the uh, water waste, uh, the wastewater, and it's in the last four years, it's five-folded in the last four years. So it's in- increasingly higher than the 2015 results. Okay. Uh, you were monitoring along that story, and that was uh, that was a story in the media, I think, last week about wastewater and the studies that have been done there and uh, looking at yeah. capital cities. Uh, and that indicates that, that there's a significant problem. And is it really sort of an undercover problem? Is this something that a lot of people are successfully masking, successfully hiding for now, uh, that they might be ICE users and it hasn't yet come out that they've actually got a problem? Absolutely. The, the 2015 results are based on survey um, and questionnaires and uh, it's, it's unrealistic. Uh, ICE users don't go around saying, you know, yes, I'm using ICE and, and bringing themselves forward. Um, it's very underestimated. The National Task Force uh, report in 2015 states that, um, that it's just an estimate and it's very understated. So um, the problem is much bigger than what people see. Um, every day lately we're seeing news articles in the paper um, regarding ICE and that's just what the public get to see. So it's much worse if, if you know, people are trying to get into a rehab. All over Australia we're struggling three to four months wait before people can even be considered to be in a rehab or a detox and that's scary. Uh, I mentioned that some of the program, the anti-ice campaign, is working in a number of states in the United States. And uh, when you mentioned the wastewater issues that broke last week, uh, it showed that Australian ice use uh, per capita is actually higher than a lot of other countries or is the highest in the world. Uh, Are you able to reflect on that? Yes. Well, they have stated uh, that Australia is the highest user of meth in the world at this point in time. Um, the, the core of the program that we're using to take into schools and um, in terms of the commercials and, and uh, what they call shock tactic, but it's reality tactic as far as I'm concerned, um, is, has been rolled out in eight states in the US um, and it's called the MESS Project and it has evidence of being able to reduce ice use among youth alone by 63% in every single state. Um, and more in adults, and uh, and crime has decreased, and you know the police commissioners there have reports stating that it has been directly in, in effect because of the meth project that they've had the results they've had. Uh, you know, um, when the project was put upon my hands, um, you know, it um, I partnered up with with Drug Free Kids who had the meth project um, in hope to deliver that. Uh, in Australia and we've modelled it to fit the Australian culture and um, yeah God has just led the the whole project Neil and it's been amazing and as um, you know as it grows there's there's more need and we're able to stand in the gap and help people um, and educate and involve the enemy. Uh, We'll get to some details about how that project works and I know there'll be listeners glued 
uh, to hear how this project works and if it's seeing this level of success in some states in the United States and you want to implement this here, there's going to be some real interest in what we're talking about. But Andrea, let's talk about your story because this is something pretty close to home for you because you are a former ice addict. Tell us your story. Um, about uh, six years ago, um, I met somebody that uh, I, well, I reunited with somebody that I trusted, um, and he was on ice. And I, I really didn't know anything about drugs. I never touched drugs. I knew, you know, everyone knows drugs that, that that's not good for you, and you shouldn't do it. Um, you know, I raised a couple of kids. I had a successful life, um, and it didn't look like something that was you know, was, could hurt you. It didn't look like a heavy drug. It just looked like something that you smoke. And I was encouraged to take it, um, let my hair down and relax a bit. Um, and it entrapped me. And I was addicted pretty much straight away. Um, it took me down a journey, a very, very dark journey for two years. Um, of You know, it was just horrific. It was an imprisonment, um, the psychosis and the depression and the suicide thoughts and um, the, the lack of sense of reality. Um, and I, I lost my children. I lost everything I owned. You know, I had, I had three houses and I had pretty much set myself up for life fairly young. Um, and and I, I, I lost my mind um, in terms of I didn't know where I was. If I was, um, I got lost around the corner from my house. Um, everybody was chasing me and I was in this entrapment and ended up in a room um, with, I had sold everything that I owned and um, I didn't know what else to do, but I couldn't stop taking the drugs. The, the drug hijacks your brain and and there is a huge spiritual element to this. You know, it's very demonic forces. People talk about, oh, the psychosis that you get. And I, I often wondered, why don't, don't you see things that are pretty, butterflies flying around or mushrooms growing out of the ground, but you see these horrific faces and torment that um, that you're taken through. And um, I came after two years almost on, on, on this drug. I mixed a couple of drugs, um, what they call G, and um, to amp it up and because the drug wasn't having effect on me anymore and I was going down to such a deep depression that I couldn't get out of. So I mixed G and I stopped breathing. Um, I, I passed out and I, all I can explain like is that um, I was like in a park coma. I, I'd open my eyes and then I'd black out and I couldn't take a breath. And this happened to me three times and I, um, the third time I thought, okay, I'm dying here. And I remember thinking, if there's a God out there, take my soul. Like I had absolutely no, um, you know, religious or um, understanding of I knew there was a God up there who people say created us, um, but I didn't know him. And I didn't think he cared for me, um, more importantly. And I woke up sometime later in a room um, and I still picked up ice. And this went on for some time, maybe a week or two, because there's no time in ice world. And about sometime later, about a week later, I um, remember I woke up from a crash. So when you're on ice, you, you go... And, and you're on the, on the gear for, you know, seven, ten days straight. You don't sleep, you don't eat. Um, and when your body shuts down, you crash for days. So I was in a crash. I woke up from a four-day crash and I 
ha- happened to look outside because I had all my windows packed up with with um, cushions and you know I was convinced the government was after me and I had tape around the windows and I had sheets over the television and um, I was checking under the door because people were chasing me as they thought and um, I looked out the window and it was a nice day so I decided to take a walk out in the park that was at the back of my house and um, I ended up at the bottom of a Greek Orthodox vandalised a church that was vandalised and all blocked up and I stood at the step of that church and I looked up at this cross in a circle, you know, and, and I said, who does this to the house of God? You know, they should respect this. Mind you, I had been ruining the temple of the Holy Spirit, but I had no awareness of that at that time. And at that point in time, Neil, a light just came out of the sky in a cylinder form. It was the whitest, like a cloud, but it was so white that it didn't hurt my eyes. And it came over through the cross and on top of me. And at that point, I was pushed down by force onto my knees and then flat on my face. And I was stuck on the ground. And all these things were going through my mind. I'm thinking, oh, this is insane. I've lost my mind. I've taken too much drugs. What have I done? But it was so real. And I could see people walking past, but they weren't even looking at me. So then I thought, maybe I'm in an alien cylinder. This is what... So I started to bleed with the force. And, and what I thought was an, was an alien force. And I'm saying, please let me go. What do you want with me? Please. And I'm crying. This overwhelming emotion just rose in me. And after some time, it released me to my knees, but the light still shone over me, and I started to talk to what I thought were aliens. And I said, please let me go. What do you want with me? And I cried and cried, and God spoke to me, Neil, and he said to me, get up and go home, my child. And I went, oh, no, this is getting from bad to worse. I'm seeing things now. I'm hearing voices. And I cried even more. I was howling like a baby. And he repeated, he said, get up and go home, my child. He wasn't, he had the most beautiful, gentle, soft voice in such, such love that I just broke down and went into a fetal position and said, I've got no more strength. I've got no home anymore. I can't do this anymore. And he said to me, I will give you strength. And at that point, I was just filled with a peace and I was like in a robotic trance. That's the only way I could explain it. And now I understand that differently as, you know, the Holy Spirit just filled me. And the light went away and I was released and I turned around and I knew exactly what I had to do. And I, God said to me, book, book your flight. So I picked up my phone and I rang the travel agent. Mel, I, I had been stealing toilet paper to get by. Now, by the age of 21 in my past, I had, a million, I had made my first million dollars. I had houses, I had everything. And I was at a point where I owned nothing else. I was stealing food from coals. I was, you know, I, I was just a mess. And I, I went to book my flight and they said $76 to come to the Gold Coast from Melbourne. And, and I... God, I kind of stopped for a moment and he said, check your account. And I had $76 in there. And I'm like, this is all too weird. What's going on? Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 
2020 on Vision. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join our conversation today. Andrea Simmons is our guest. We're talking about putting the freeze on ice. Andrea leads the Australian Anti-Ice Campaign. She has her own story to tell of ice addiction. And as you can hear, uh, there's a spiritual dimension to what happens uh, in the life of a person who is on ice. And uh, when we talk about an encounter with God, uh, I don't want to cut short the opportunity for Andrea to share this because, Andrea, uh, you were at the end, uh, having been, as you described, a millionaire, and you had sunk to the point where you were stealing toilet paper. Uh, You were outside and you saw a vision, a cylinder, a light, and you heard the voice of God. Uh, Pick up from that point about this encounter with God and just how important that was in overcoming and getting free from ice. That was everything, Neil. Um, And at that point, um, God led me, you know, to uh, book my flight and there was the the exact amount of money in my account. Um, And I progressed home to pack everything and uh, I had no thought process going on. I was just acting like like a robotic trans and, and hearing God's voice leading me and just following the prompts. And, you know, he said, oh, ring Charles. And I that was a school friend of mine um, that lived on the other side of the city. And I rang him and I said, I need help. I've got to go home. And he w- happened to be five minutes away from my house with his trailer hooked up at the back. Um, he forgot it on the over the weekend, and all these series of coincidences started taking place. Um, and I was then dropped off at a friend's house who lived near the airport, and I was telling her, Jenny, I think I I, I am hearing God, and she she said, Andrea, you you've lost it. And I thought maybe she's right, maybe I just took too much drugs, and you know these things are happening to me that I couldn't explain, but it was so real and so beautiful. And so she dropped me off at the airport the next day, and. It wasn't till I got to the airport that I got to meet Jesus. And um, she had to go to work and gave me a, a an exercise book and a pen, said I might want to write something. I looked at her strangely and I kept going. And you, you've got to see the picture of this. I was weighing 40 kilos. My kidneys were bleeding. My hair was falling out. My gums were bleeding. I had broken my front tooth. Um, and all I had was my life that was left on me was 230 kilograms, two cases that I was dragging um, on wheels. And I was fine. I was in this robotic trance. I said, I'll be fine. I'll get on the plane. And I started walking. And as I'm walking, Neil, um, all of a sudden I lost my vision. Everything went black and I lost all the strength in my body. It was like something sucked out of me. And I just collapsed onto my suitcases. And that overwhelming feeling just rose up in me and I started to all my eyes out I was just crying and all of a sudden I saw like a movie reel like a a show reel very long and skinny film film strip and it was black and white and silver and it was Jesus carrying the cross and he was looking at me and I felt like he was me and I was him and like telepathically, he said to me, I am, I, I am with you. I am with you. You're carrying your cross. And I just cried. You know, I could feel him. And I, the more I, I just bawled my eyes out and I heard a voice from behind me 
and it was a lady's voice and she said, are you okay? And I looked up at her and tried to clear my eyes to see something and I made her out and this lady is standing above me, over me, glowing. And I, she helped me up and I, I said to her, no, I'm not okay, but I will be. She goes, yes, you will. And as I wiped my eyes to excuse myself from the embarrassment, and the lady wasn't there, and I'm thinking, I'm going insane. Something's happening. And, Neil, this happened to me three times before I got on the plane. Now, I don't, didn't know the Bible. I didn't know. I knew there was something else because I used to see things that weren't there, and especially through addiction, I saw a lot of not very nice um entities if you want to call that um but tormenting spirits and faces and um but even ever since i was young i used to see things that you know weren't there so people would say and my parents being from brazil used to say you know that's a spiritual thing and you know you you, you can see into the supernatural and i i used to think it was a curse so, andrea um, let me let me ask you here because uh, when you are on ice you're addicted to drugs and you are having all of these sorts of, as you describe them, psychosis and uh, mm. seeing dreadful things. And you were wondering why you didn't see things like butterflies and waterfalls yeah. and lovely things. And they're all evil, uh, wicked, bad things that you see. How do you tell the difference uh, when you are hearing voices, seeing visions, seeing bad things? What's the difference between those visions, those voices and the voice of God? How do you describe that? I would describe it like um, when God speaks and when he spoke to me, um, it is a, there's a peace beyond any understanding and a knowing and a belonging and just a certainty in, inside of you um, like a warm blanket. Um, and when you are seeing things that aren't from God, they are tormenting and heavy and um, disturbing, yeah, unsettling. Wow. That's the best way I can explain it. And the voice is not leading you into more depths of despair. The voice is leading you into a place of uh, where you say peace. Uh, What we're talking about Mm -hmm. is the ability to be able to say no and turn your back on the drug scene. How How does that turning your back on drugs work once you've heard the voice of God? It wasn't conscious, Neil. I didn't do it consciously. I never thought I could stop. Um, it was, I just kept following God. I just kept following his voice and his direction. And it, it's not, I didn't plan to stop. Um, I, I, I didn't plan anything. Um, it was just, he led me there. Um, and he healed me from my addiction. When I got back, um, he led me to a church. He said, this is where you're going to learn who I am because he just kept talking to me um, for six months straight, like like you're talking to me, like, you know, and it was just so surreal. And I kept saying to my mum, mum, God's talking to me. And, you know, they all thought I was crazy. And um, he led me to a church um, and he said, this is where you're going to learn about me. And I just, you know, pressed in and asked questions and, you know, approached, kept, close to my pastor as much as I could. I was like, followed him upstairs, follow him downstairs, ask a million questions and fa- telling him what was happening to me, um, including, you know, a smoke that came in my room and, um, you know, I had this purple 
purple, you know, smoke come in my room and um, I had silver things, you know, falling on my bed and I'm like, this is insane. I'm, I think I'm going crazy. And he said to me, no, Google Bethel, that happens over there. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. What's happening with me? But he, God was amazing with me. It wasn't a planned thing to get out of addiction. You can't get out of addiction on, in your own strength. So how do we understand what's happening with ICE users? Our special guest, Andrea Simmons, has been telling her story and she is herself a former ice addict and a description of just a dreadful despair that ice users are in. Andrea has also been able to articulate what was happening when she was seeing visions and hearing voices and being able to separate those voices that have been generated from the ice abuse and actually hearing the voice of God a wonderful testimony that she has of getting free from ice. And Andrea, as we talk about the number of people who don't get free from ice, once you're addicted, it's only a very small number who seem to be getting free. Uh, I think that statistic of around 2%, how reliable is that? Is is that as bad as it is that only 2% of people are getting off ice? How do you see things? It, it is a reality, Neil, unfortunately. It- Look, the, the reality with ice is if they don't have God, they're likely to keep relapsing. And it is, there is a spiritual element to all of this. The enemy's out there and, and, and he's out there to kill, still and destroy lives. And he, you know, he will just keep taking people. They, you know, they go into recovery and they come out and they get re-engaged. It, it, there are spirits involved in that and they have to be delivered, Yeah. Um, we often pray for people. I mean, our, the bulk of our work is done unveiling the enemy, raising awareness. I wish somebody had warned me before I had to go through that hell. Um, and I don't wish that upon anybody. Um, but that's predominantly what we do, and we educate the community. But we also um, provide family support. We also provide buddies um, and sponsors or buddies, as you may know them as sponsors, um, to help people through but um, lead them through lead them to back to God where that's where they're going to get the real help and it's minimal it's minimal the people that are, are understanding that um, and we're seeing deliverance daily we're seeing people go into Christian rehab like transformation like um, Salvation Army turning point they're, they're getting results and um, you know it's, there's there minimal rehab applying the spiritual element to the deliverance. Andrea, bringing the God factor into getting delivered from ice, uh, this mm-hmm. for secular people, for people who either don't believe God, believe in God, or don't think that that's a relevant part of what government authorities ought to be doing in a strategy to solve these things, somehow or other uh, bringing God in is, is, is a challenge for those people. But but what you're saying and the story that you're sharing with us is that there is a spiritual dimension to this ice epidemic and without God, people are not going to be able to get free from it. We are made spirit, soul and body. We have to look at all the elements and provide a holistic approach to healing. Uh, yes, they need clinical services and they need um, alcohol and other drug counsellors psychologists, doctors to monitor, you know, their body and how, how the physical form is taking shape and recovering. But you also need to heal the spirit. 
and so that is being overlooked by our clinical services, um, you know, and the, the government system. Uh, they keep reapplying what they've been doing for the last 15 years, and, and funding that, uh, it's not working. It's clearly not working. So they need to look at a holistic approach, and they need to act fast because it's people's lives that we're losing here. It's somebody's son, somebody's brother, somebody's mother. You know, they really need to understand that. Uh, when you said earlier, when you pray for people, it's a little bit like unveiling the deception. Or I think you said it was unveiling the evil, uh, something along those lines. Uh, when you talk about praying for people, uh, mm-hmm. what is actually happening? And you would have seen this time and time again. When you are praying, and I imagine that's a fervent style of prayer where you might have a group of people, you might be laying on hands, those sorts of things that Christians often do. What happens in the life of that person when you begin to pray and you begin to bring God into the context of their drug addiction? Well, they start getting free. Um, it, you, know, God, you don't need to be in a group of people um, you know, to pray for somebody. I've had parents calling me, I don't know what else to do, I've tried everything. And I go, look, above all, get on your knees. And there is a Father in Heaven, a supernatural Father, asking for help. Do it from your heart. And they see results, you know. And, and I've got a, a wall in my room full of prayers that, you know, we're praying for people. There is a spiritual element that leads them, can lead them closer to God to recovery. And then they need to look at the physical side of things as well. And the person who is addicted to ice, Andrea, uh, they're very spiritually attuned because is this a common thing uh, that as you were describing the psychosis, you're describing the evil images that you're seeing, those visions, uh, uh, dreadful things that are threatening you, this uh, dreadful feeling that everybody's out to get you. Uh, People, this is a common thing that ice addicts feel so they are actually open to a spiritual dimension which means God comes in and quells those troubled waters and brings his calm absolutely absolutely and they all um, you know they have names for these spirits now oh yeah the tall skinny tall man um, you know that hides behind the trees they all say the same thing why I have, I have to question that. You know, it is there is another current behind addiction is the spirit of witchcraft. It comes back from if you look back in the Bible where they used to mix potions, they got to pray and bind the spirits of witchcraft among many other spirits that come in on top of that. You know, through through the period of time that they're addicted, but that's the fundamental core. Um, and and bind that and and cast it out and release God's word over them freedom and peace, yeah? And I always ask my father to do what he did with me, an intervention like he did with me, show them himself. And, um, you know, you find that a lot of recovered addicts can tell you the same story and the same entrapment and the same torment. Um, And some of them just don't make it because it's so severe that they take their own lives. Wow. And the interesting thing that you're sharing is an evidence for the spirituality of what happens when someone is addicted to drugs, when you say that they are seeing the same visions, uh, mm-hmm. the man behind the tree, the tall, skinny man. Uh, describe, yeah. I mean, I don't want to take you back into these sorts of things, but describe for listeners 
the the dark side of what you are seeing a, a little more carefully. And I, I'm sorry if this does uh, take you back to those things that you were uh, seeing regularly, but describe for listeners what those bad, evil, dreadful, despairing visions are like. And then we'll we'll talk about uh, what happens when the Spirit of God comes and uh, begins to displace those. Yeah. Um, the dark spirits, the, oh, the best way I can explain it is they're tormenting, they're heavy, they're scary. Um, you know, you're on high alert all the time and, and you know that they're present um, and you can't run from them. Yeah, and they're, they're in your face and they're waking you up and they're telling you, you know, things. You know, he wants to kill you, they're after you. And it, it's just a horrible, horrible imprisonment. So it's you're you're really under the pressure of paranoia. You are seriously under attack from these spirits. So when you yeah. have this contrast, the spirit of God, because we're talking spiritual things too. When we're when we're Christians, we're talking about hearing the voice of God. But the spirit of God, when the spirit of God comes, what happens to those other voices? Oh, they disappear. There's no. They have no power against the spirit of God. You know, they run and flee. Um, and, you know, it's just, the Spirit of God is so strong, and but yet soft and peaceful and calming and like a warm blanket, yeah, and it's light. It's full of light. And if you are getting free from addiction, how important is it to make sure that those voices, uh, those evil things are dealt with? Is that a part of the overcoming of the addiction? Um, I'm not sure I understand your question. Well, because uh, some people will say, well, you're dealing with a chemical in your body that's causing some of these things to happen. But when the voices in your head are so negative, so evil, the visions of those things are demonic, uh, when you can deal with those voices, is that a part of the overcoming of the addiction? Absolutely. Absolutely. You you know, that's why people keep picking up again, because they, they don't... See, the, the drug, what, it ha- what happens, it freezes the frontal lobe of your brain, but it strips your dopamine supply in your brain. A dopamine gives you, makes you feel happy, and, and um, there's also serotonin in your brain that it strips as well, and that gives you the impulse action if you're lacking serotonin, impulse and anger. So you've got depression, anxiety, um, you know, um, impulse action, and you're heightened in the spiritual realm and you're heightened in alertness as well. And the frontal lobe of your brain where rational, logical decisions take place is not operating. All of that compiled, you know, is just a real... um, When you're coming down, it is so down and you can't run away from it. And the, the spiritual element of that lingers on with you. And even the more ice you take, it's slightly there, but it takes the edge off, Yeah. Because it's a lock. So people just can't get off it. Yeah. The Australian Anti-Ice Campaign, you have a website, uh, AAIC. Uh, If people were Googling Australian Anti-Ice Campaign, uh, what sort of things will they find on your website? Is there there some uh, detail and some resource there that you could apply in your own local context? And There are some people listening to us in in quite isolated communities, uh, but they've got ice problems in their communities as well. Uh, If we go to your website, what are we likely to be able to see? So you're able to see a brief on what we do in terms of education. Uh, We provide resources, uh, training for the community. 
so that they have tools to be able to do a brief and early intervention with a loved one or some, you know, somebody that may be um, in substance abuse um, and create pathways for those people to get help, both clinical and, um, at, you know, and group therapy as well. So um, a attaching them with a counsellor, a doctor and, um, um, and a group therapy se session um, that can help them. There's numbers on there in the Get Help section um, that they can contact in their local state. Um, there's a website there that if they put in their details and the age group and what substance they're addicted to, if they're looking for rehabs and detoxes, um, the listing comes up there. Um, people can contact us in regards to our education program. So we do in-school education. We do forums for communities to help educate the community on what happens in the brain of an addict and how they can get help. Um, we bring the service providers together at that forum so people can outreach to those people in need. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Uh, we're talking about putting the freeze on ice, talking about the ice epidemic that is gripping Australia. Our special guest as we talk through these issues uh, leads what is called the Australian Anti-Ice Campaign. Andrea Simmons is our guest. And Andrea, it's not just your uh, program that is running. Uh, this is something that uh, you are now the face of when it comes to mm -hmm. the Australian anti-ice campaign. Things are expanding and opportunities are coming. Doors are opening. You've got some, uh, some initiatives coming up uh, as you move up into central Queensland, heading to Rockhampton. What are you doing in Rockhampton? Uh, we, we have been into Yapoon, Rockhampton. Uh, we ran a community forum. Uh, we've been up there again and trained the community with dual diagnosis training, uh, left them with some tools, um, put together, united the services um, to form a, um, a, a committee. Uh, we are now looking at rolling out the education in, in that area in all the schools there. Uh, we're also going up to central North Queensland um, with, with the police have asked us to come out there and to Barcaldum and five other towns there and holding five forums in five days and educating all the kids in the schools there. Um, and we're rolling out the we're rolling out the program, the full program in Logan, um, with the help of the community there. Uh, Uniting Church and um, the local MP and the mayor of that town, um, they're getting more and more requests for the, for the government to do something. Um, we are currently unfunded, so we rely on the community to be able to, to do this. Um, you know, all of us are volunteers, over 30 people um, here on the Gold Coast. Uh, we have 14 presenters on the ground. Presenters like me, people that have been through it, have then been trained with dual diagnosis, they've recovered, we blue card them, we show them how to integrate their stories into an evidence-based practice presentation and they have a conversation, it's a workshop with the, with the youth and the kids can express their thoughts and they can tell them the realities of ice addiction and, and drug addiction as a whole. Um, we're looking at, uh, we're about to embark in late April in opening offices in Melbourne. We get calls, Neil, from everywhere in Australia. And they, the first thing they say to me is, you don't understand, it's the worst here. I, I do understand. It's the worst everywhere. And it's hurting many people. And unless we change... You see, when I spoke to the Queensland Health Minister, um, he said to me, how many more rehabs do we keep opening, Andrea? And I said, well, exactly my point. 
AIC is the line in the sand where we expose what ice is going to do. The fact that there's Drano in ice, the fact that there's countertop cleaner, the fact that there's acetone. And I say to these kids, I'm not going to tell you not to do it, but you wouldn't drink Drano. And that's what I was putting in my body. And my kidneys bleed, bled for three and a half years and I haven't got parts of my memory. And I don't know if that's ever going to come back fully, but do you want this for yourself? Do you want this torment? Do you want this disaster in your life? Is it worth it? So our message to the youth is not even once. It's not worth the consequences. We wouldn't drink Drano. Why would you do this? So, um, you know, and we're getting more calls um, around Australia wanting us to help. Um, at the moment, we are working in an office space out of Heritage of Faith um, because we became homeless due to, you know, lack of funding. Um, we can't pay rent. But, you know, God provides everything we need as we do. As we roll out, he provides for each town, lights are supplied. Um, we don't get paid. We live by faith, but we do the job. And that's what's important to me because I wish somebody did that for me, mm. you know. Andrea, you've got a team of 14, you said, and they're people who've been ice addicts. They are now trained and they're doing these forums. They're doing these educational opportunities. You've got Mm -hmm. a hungry, uh, particularly school system, who want to have people come and tell their story and be able to encourage children to avoid at all costs uh, getting involved with ICE. Uh, it is a amazing program, and uh, you know our prayers are going to be that there's a smooth flow in your opening of the office in Melbourne at the end of April. And, of course, as Thank those you. tours go on, uh, just expect good things because uh, you guys are doing wonders. Uh, I imagine that you'd like to have some government funding for what you do somewhere down the track. Is that something that you're seeking? That's correct. I've been to Canberra. Uh, I've presented to the Federal Health Board, also to the Federal Education Board. Um, we have now uh, started embarking on the Logan program, which we're bringing in Griffith University to give the evaluation of that um, back to the government. And yeah, it's just all the red tape. And, you know, we just got to keep pressing on and doing what we do because every day, 27 youth a day are becoming addicted to ice and that's somebody's child and somebody's life and somebody's loved one. Well, with such an epidemic, of course, there is absolutely going to be a need to equip and empower others to do the same sorts of things that you do. You won't be able to do it on your own. You're going to need a small army of people. And I know you call your uh, your followers your army, and there is a huge job ahead. But I want to point people to your website. Simply Google the Australian Anti-Ice Campaign. It's the Australian Anti-Ice Campaign Andrea Simmons is our guest. We've been talking about putting the freeze on ice. And, Andrea, thank you so much for taking some time to share your heart with us today. And uh, our prayers are that there'll be some wonderful doors will open and uh, your organisation will go from strength to strength. Thanks uh, for talking to us today on 2020. Thank you for having us, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand. Or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.